This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight, we chat with lawyer Paul Mendes of Lesperance Mendes Lawyers about defamation and health security in light of a slew of recent data leaks. We also speak with Dr. David G. Harper as we begin our bio diet journey. This is week one. Marat Dreschner, chef and global wellness and nutrition specialist, joins us as well to talk about leading an abundant and healthy life. Finally, cardiologist Dr. John Weisler talks to us about the implications of computer learning and artificial intelligence on his field of practice. Good evening and welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse, nurse continence advisor, and a sexual health educator. Canada lost some of its razzle-dazzle this week as a cold air came over this country in a senseless act of violence. 57 lives lost. We've lost Canadian families, friends, and lovers of our beloved Iranian communities. Our hearts go out to those grieving the loss of their loved ones in the Ukraine airplane crash. Know that you are in our thoughts and prayers as we grieve right along with you. Your health is your wealth, and preventive health is what this show is all about. Through expertise of my guests and storytelling, along with review of the evidence, I hope to educate you on the benefits of good health. I want you to be happier, more productive, and feel amazing. And guess what? I do also talk about sex, so put those kids to bed. Sex facilitates feelings of intimacy, which does a lot more than make you feel warm and fuzzy all over, however. People often underestimate the physical benefits associated with intimacy. So thank you for joining me. If you have a question for me or there's something you'd like me to cover, feel free to email me at nursetalk at hotmail.com. You can always call me or one of my guests. The number is one 877 399-9898. Remember, this show is not a replacement for a visit to your doctor for whatever ails you. If you start any new treatment, you always want to have your doctor's blessing. Tonight in the program, we have lots to talk about. First, I want to say good evening to Andrew. Good evening, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Off guard. I don't even have my headphones on. Oh, dear Hi. Andrew. <laughs> there you are, Johnny, on there the spot. Go. Anyway, just thought I'd check in, see how you're doing. Rough week this week. It's been a it's been a hard week for Canada, for sure. To, to put it lightly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, a lot of broken hearts out there. We all got to band together, though. We know. certainly do. And, uh, you know, I think of the people who've lost uh, people that they love or perhaps their lovers or um, children, families went. I mean, it's just so it's so heartbreaking. Anyway, uh, and it's all so senseless. It's ridiculous. Anyway, uh, well, thanks for helping me out tonight, Andrew. Always glad to. Appreciate it. Uh, Tonight on the program, we're talking about weight because uh, although I had a fabulous Christmas, a couple of extra gifts that I wasn't expecting were love handles. Only a couple. (laughs) I've gained several extra gifts. I've gained so much between Christmas, New Year's, and then I was sick for 10 days. And so, you know, when you're sick... You eat tortellini you and eat comfort food. Alfredo sauce. Exactly. Yes, that's all you want. And you can't move as much, right? So anyway, you're just lying there like a blob. But, um, but Yeah, my shirts are definitely a little bit tighter than they were this time last month. Oh, I'm just wearing the stretch clothing. Oh, I, lucky you. I don't have any. 
It's very unpopular. It's a very unfashionable look, oh, let me tell you. It's fashion smashing. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, well, we're on our way to losing weight. We're going to be talking about that. We're starting our week one of the ketogenic diet. Um, so stay with me. I've got some instructions for you. Dr. David G. Harper is joining us. Also, chronic busyness. And is that actually a myth? And what about breach of privacy? We're going to be talking about motivations to stay on track for your goals. I, uh, My brother actually said, I'm going to join the gym after all of the New Year's people leave. (laughs) They'll be gone by next week. Um, So hopefully not. So we're going to be talking about motivation with a wellness coach as well. And how can you be kinder to yourself and may I mention others in 2020? But right now... And now, Maureen's Health Headline. Well, joining me in the studio for the health headline, you've heard his voice on the program before. He's a regular contributor. He's a lawyer. Paul Mendes of Mendes Lesperance Law Firm in Vancouver, British Columbia. Thank you so much for trekking down here to uh, talk about uh, this very interesting, shall we call it a love case? <laughs> Love-hate case, I think. I think so. Yeah, that's a bit more appropriate for that's sure. Right. Broken hearts are something, and uh, people can start ruminating. We have social media, which can ruin people's lives, basically. You know, one, just hit send once, and boom, it can be all over. And such was the case um, with this lawsuit that happened in Vancouver, British Columbia, some relentless online defamation. So Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on that case? Yeah, so the case uh, was just reported. It's called Rook versus Halcrow, and you can uh, read it online. It's a very interesting case about um, a woman who uh, was, I guess, uh, scorned by an ex-lover and then decided to post a number of things about him uh, on social media. The postings were uh, relentless and they were all along the lines of him being uh, dishonest, uh, having sexually transmitted infections. Being an uh, alcoholic. Being a drunk, being unemployed, mm-hmm. various things. And the uh, plaintiff in the case had um, somewhat of a reputation in Vancouver. He was a business person, a consultant, had some profile in uh, the local uh, resource industry. And uh, these two had dated for a period of time twice. They They were dating initially and then broke it off and then got back together. And I guess the second time, the um, defendant in the case was quite upset and uh, went about posting some truly horrible things. And in the judgment, actually, they have, I think, all of the posts uh, read out also with the court's interpretation of them. At the end of the day, the plaintiff was awarded over $200,000 in damages uh, as a result of this because the court found that her posts were not just false, but they were maliciously intended to harm his reputation. Right. And that's all we have at the end of the day really is our reputation. That's right. And, uh, you know, what this case is really about is it's a little bit of a lesson for people to understand that when they post things on social media, even just to friends, uh, it's not private. And in fact, uh, any of those posts, even directly sent to people, can attract some legal liability. So we do have to be careful. And one of the things about social media that is uh, different from when defamation laws were first created in the, in the sort of print age 
um, is that we have instant access. You know, we uh, social media is designed to provoke outrage and get us to keep uh, liking and uh, tweeting and commenting, and that instant access. Uh, oftentimes uh, sort of circumvents our desire or what, what we would do in common sense, which is when you're upset about something, maybe take 24 hours to cool off exactly. before you say something. Unfortunately, social media finds a way to shortcut that. And in this case, um, you know, I'm sure this uh, person is now regretting uh, what they said, uh, but uh, the damage has been done. Uh, an interesting thing in that court order uh, is that the judge made a worldwide order essentially preventing anybody, even people who weren't named in it, from uh, repeating or reposting any of the items that were stated uh, online by this uh, person using, I think, Instagram primarily. Wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to think of um, sometimes some people have issues with impulsivity. Right. And and social media is a breeding ground for those people who don't stop and think, pause. Absolutely. I mean, it should, uh, I'm one of those people that says in some respects, social media should be called anti-social media. Right, exactly. uh, Because its business model is to get you a little bit upset, uh, even though we have lots of cat videos and family things to share. What really makes us go back to social media is the stuff that upsets us. Right. And so uh, even someone perhaps reading these comments who wouldn't know the people, maybe was a friend of one of them might be tempted to like and share those uh, posts. And and that's why social media also, different from print, has an ability to go viral and spread quite quickly and cause incredible uh, damage to a person's reputation. Is is there any culpability for somebody who does share the some of those tweets, some of those Instagram posts? I think there is uh, some potential exposure there for people that circulate uh, things that... Um, but generally not in the sense because they won't really know the story. So to like and share, I don't think you have as much uh, exposure as the original author. It probably depends who you are right. and, and how you're sharing it that, to, to see if it would attract liability for you. Right. But I, I'm worried more about what people are going to post uh, perhaps about employers. Uh, that's very common for yes. employees to go online and say terrible things about their employers. Uh-huh. There was a case recently where a fellow was fired from his job after posting a picture of the barbecue <laughs> sauce bottle that, that his employer gave him for Christmas. I don't know if you saw the Saturday Night Live skit last oh, night. I did not. I'll have to <laughs> it watch good. it. Uh, uh, it was good. Um, you know, the thing is, I don't think, I think the woman, um, the Vancouver woman mm-hmm. who's been ordered to pay the $200,000. I don't think she's employed at the moment. So yes. I think this is going to be a challenge for her. Right. But I, for some reason, I don't think it's about the money for him. I think it was really a, a statement by the judge to say, you know, this is not on. This is not going to happen. We're going to, you know, give this penalty. Um, and he can, you know, walk away knowing that his reputation, you know. Very much so. Defamation is, in some respects, it's about the money. But what it's really about is getting a court judgment saying that right. the person who wrote this was lying right. uh, and that these things were false. 
uh, and that they were the posts were solely intended to, to injure the other person. Um, you know, you can contrast that. There was another case very recent uh, involving uh, Elon Musk. Yes. Uh, do you remember that one yes. where he, he called uh, the, one of those cave, uh, the Thailand cave rescue. I think it was Thailand. Uh, they were doing the cave rescue and um, Elon Musk referred to the leader of the investigation as the pedo guy. Right. <laughs> and somehow Elon Musk... Um, uh, got away with it, and uh, not only that, but in the, in that decision, the judge commented about how not only had the defamation in that case not cost him anything, but he'd actually made money from it as a result of getting speaking engagements. <laughs> so I think if you're defamed by a famous person, you, yeah, <laughs> bring it on, yeah, yeah. somebody, please. Might be a little different. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, that's great. You know what? You wonder how somebody recovers from something like that. I'm speaking about the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. She, Surely there has to be, unless she's narcissistic, but there has to be, um, you know, some shame, some embarrassment, sure. regret, um, and and thinking, you know, and maybe even, you know, uh, emotional issues or mental yeah. health what issues. What was here you know? was an intimate relationship, exactly, obviously. Yeah. And so when those things go wrong, I mean, we all, anyone who's had familiarity with family relations type disputes, they can get very personal oh, and very mean. Absolutely. And uh, I'm sure these are things she probably wishes now she hadn't done. I'm sure she does. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, thanks so much uh, for talking about this and, and staying in the studio because we're going to talk about uh, breach of privacy, another issue okay. that's all over the news. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Uh, you know, we're talking privacy breaches right now. Uh, you know, all of this seems to be coming together. I was mentioning to my guest, if you're just joining me now, Paul Mendes of Mendes L'Esperance Law Firm in Vancouver, British Columbia, joins me in studio. Um, I was saying how yesterday I had my, I didn't even make an appointment online, I had my eyebrows waxed. <laughs> I just said it while my phone was in my pocket. I'm going to stop at my hairdresser and get my eyebrows waxed. And today, all over Facebook was eyebrow waxing, advertising, and all sorts of things about eyelashes, eyebrows, you know, eyebrow shadow, the whole thing. I'm like, this is getting freaky. Anyway, Paul, thanks so mm-hmm. much for staying, coming into the studio tonight. And uh, despite the weather, <laughs> and uh, talking about the risk of personal health information, uh, the privacy breaches that are occurring, and whether it's an X-ray or a CT mm-hmm. scan or lab reports or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, what do you make of one billion medical images of patients around the world at risk of breach? Yeah, well, that's it. incredible and quite timely as we had that story in, in our news here about um, uh, the Life Labs um, data hack. Right. Um, you know, every organization, company in British Columbia, and I'm sure this is the same in other jurisdictions as well, has to uh, ha- uh, comply with the provincial uh, privacy legislation, and it has to have procedures in place to keep personal information about patients, clients, customers uh, private and secure. Uh, mm-hmm. And what we're learning is the ease of convenience for accessing uh, data uh, is making it very easy for that data to get out of uh, wherever it's being kept um, and make it into the hands of uh, people that may or may not have good intentions. Uh, one of the things that I'm very concerned about is the consensual uh, ways in that we give away access to our data, such mm-hmm. as when you buy a Fitbit uh, or um, some other health monitoring app. That's right. Um, you know, uh, 
you go to your doctor? When was the last time when you were at the doctor? If you have a GP or do you go to a clinic, do they, um, they might have free Wi-Fi, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And your phone connects to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're now tracked as going to that particular medical office. Right. Not difficult at all for mm-hmm. hackers who want access to information to... Uh, identify us and learn quite a bit about us. That's right. And I always lie on those forums. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not when you're going to the doctor, though. <laughs> no, no, but you see those online forums and they're like, you know, how much is your house worth or how much right. weight do you want to lose? And we'll yes. tell you how much you need to lose. And then they say, you know, your name, your age, your weight, your this, that, you know, then I'm like, no, I'm not giving this information. A exactly. few lies. I'm... The, the story that prompted this uh, discussion was the one about medical images, which are stored on systems. So, mm-hmm. so these are scans, x-rays, CT scans, charts that uh, are kept and then imaged. Um, those are stored electronically and are susceptible to hacking. Um, the good news, I suppose, is that those heart charts are very difficult to read unless you've got the proper training. They are, but some people could, and there's a risk for the insurance, um, especially in the States, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and my big concern, of course, is not as much as the, uh, the hacking, but as again, that consensual information that we give away and what it's being used for. You know, everywhere we go, we leave a data trail. Everything we do online leaves a data trail. Everything. And now with the phones in our pocket, our physical space also leaves this data trail. That information is, of course, being harvested by all kinds of people and then sold uh, tons of times over. So, you know, you should take care, read those forms Mm -hmm. uh, that you're filling out when you're at a doctor's office or obtaining any kind of medical services. One of the questions you do want to ask in this day and age is how is this information being stored? Mm-hmm. Who has access to it? Is it backed up? You know, those types of questions. Very good questions for a consumer to ask. A lot of businesses haven't thought about these things as right. we're learning from even these very sophisticated companies like Life Labs. And then there was a credit reporting agency. Uh, I think it was TransUnion had a hack that affected millions and millions of people across North America. So this is a very big issue. It's only going to get worse. And Absolutely. we'll see more. Paul Mendez, thank you so much for coming You're in. Your, your great information, as usual. If I need a lawyer, I that's why I bring you in. <laughs> anyway. Thank you. Um, well, when I come back, we're going to be starting our bio diet. The ketogenic journey begins. I've got some tips on how to deal with week one. I've had my last meal. It was fettuccine Alfredo. And, uh, <laughs> and it was darn good. And I will never see the likes of that again. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We are uh, joined in the studio by Dr. David G. Harper. He has a PhD. He is the author of The Bio Diet. And so this is the week that we're going to uh, start week one of The Bio Diet. I'm going to be doing it as well. Um, I'm pretty good when I say that I'm going to do something. Like that. So um, I just had a couple of emails that I just wanted to mention. David, David, thank you so much for joining me in studio. Oh, my pleasure. And, uh, and starting this little journey. And so, um, hi, Maureen and David. I'm interested in trying the bio diet. My background as a healthcare professional grounds me in the medical model and even Canada's food guide. So I've generally followed everything in moderation approach. However, I've spent time living in anti-cancer world, which included an anti-inflammatory diet as a family member battled cancer. 
As a result, I am familiar with the evidence-informed approach of reducing carbohydrates, including simple sugars, and I'm interested Wonderful. in giving this lifestyle a try for many reasons. Um, so that's a nice email. Then we no, have that's a- fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm also part of a group called the Canadian Clinicians for Therapeutic Nutrition, which is about seven thousand now. Wow, um, physicians mostly, but also um, researchers like myself and 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 uh, nutritional therapists and dietitians who are trying to uh, argue for evidence based uh, food recommendations That's from our fantastic. Yeah. And I just want to read one other email because sure. um, this, this guy's familiar, becoming very familiar to us, I guess. <laughs> Hi, Mo and Dave. Okay. <laughs> you're Mo now. I'm Mo. You're I don't Dave. even get to call her Mo. <laughs> <laughs> I always have sandwiches for lunch. What do I eat for lunch now? I am also addicted to candy. Is this bio diet okay for me? Um, so just some, yeah, was, some general <laughs> questions. We're going to answer that. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and so this is week one. Last week we asked uh, listeners, if you're listening out there. We asked for your height and your weight, your waist girth and your hip girth as well. And so you want to take those measurements and of course get on the scale. A lot of people Mm -hmm. forget to get on the scale and don't want to get on the scale, but it's just a number. So just get on the scale, get your numbers, be committed to this. We're going to have prizes at the end of the 12 weeks, maybe some interim prizes as well. Um, Also, if you have any questions about the bio diet, send them to me. I'll forward them on to David, nursetalkathotmail.com or or we can send them directly to you, David at biodiet.com. David at biodiet.org. Yeah. Org, yeah. All, sure. Okay, and you'll be entered into a random draw for a free hour of counseling. Oftentimes, if you're changing your lifestyle, you do need some counseling for that. Um, so this week, uh, David, we're going to be uh, talking about the acronym SWAM, yeah, yeah. which you developed started. for me. Thank so for, you. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> I'm a swimmer. For, for, I love it. Oh, yeah, so it's past tense. Um, so first of all, I hope you've made a, an appointment with your physician because what we want to do is have these benchmark measurements, not just your waist, hips, weight, and height, but also your blood work, your liver panel, and so on, uh, lipid panel rather, and your, your liver enzymes, and, and only your physician can do that. And you really shouldn't uh, start a ketogenic diet without physician oversight, especially if you're taking medications for things like um, uh, hypertension uh, or hyperglycemia, like uh, diabetes and high blood pressure, because uh, the effects are so strong initially that you might actually have issues because you need to reduce those medications. Exactly. It's very often the case. So, so you should really do this with your physician, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so once you have those measurements and once it's been cleared by your uh, physician, then we can get into starting week one, which is really exciting. And the first thing, I'm so glad you're joining me. And apparently, I'm so excited. Yeah, excited about it too. <laughs> this is going to be great because I'll get to watch it. So we also right. take weekly yeah. pictures. No, we won't do that. Um, but for the listeners out there, listen, you can do this. This is the main thing. You can do this. It takes some commitment. We're going to commit together to do this together for 12 weeks. Um, and if you do this, you know, likely you will lose, if you're a man, 20, 25 pounds. If you're a woman, probably 10 to 15 pounds. You'll probably feel better. You'll look better. Uh, and I like to say we rejuvenate you in the process. So, so we take uh, 10 years or so off your biological life in, in, in about 10 weeks. So it's a lot of fun. Um, it is a significant change. So you do need to be committed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, and, and we will commit for, for 12 weeks. And then so we're just going to start with week one. This week, and then we'll follow up every week with the with the next steps, and I'll be answering questions and and hopefully uh, helping people through the process. Okay, so the first thing to do um, is the S word. Yeah, not, so- not sex. <laughs> it's not eliminate sex. Right. No, no. It's eliminate. 
Yeah, eliminate sugar. Okay, right. so so and this is uh, sugar is is sucrose, which is glucose and and fructose, and and it's really glucose is a naturally occurring sugar in our body. Fructose isn't it? Comes from fruit mostly. That's where the sort of name comes from, and it has about five different um, negative consequences when it's metabolized because it's not a naturally occurring sugar in our system, so our liver has to deal with it, and we won't get into the details of things like de novo lipogenesis and tumor growth no. factor, but basically it does bad things. So. So the first thing we want to do is get sugar out of our diet because ketogenic diets are low carb and sugars are a carb and they're the major culprit in a lot of chronic disease. How about the things like mannitol and um, maltitol syrup and right. those types of things that are in like, those diet yeah. drinks, right? And we'll talk about those in the weeks to come. Okay. Uh, you can use sugar substitutes and okay. it's really finding a one that you like. Uh, there's some that are preferred. Some are artificial, you know, like the saccharin and cycloamate and aspartame and that sort of thing. And are they others, okay to use? They're generally considered safe, is what okay. the government says. Right. I don't particularly like those. I prefer the naturally occurring alternative sweeteners or natural sweeteners. Like and stevia? Stevia I, could yeah. be one that you could use as long as it's organic. Um, How about honey? Well, honey is just sugar. Yeah. You know, and maple syrup is just sugar, and right. agave is sugar with tons of extra fructose. So. Right, right. So those are all out. Right? Yeah, those are out, unfortunately. Okay. So, so it's okay. not necessarily things that taste sweet. So you can still eat your fruit and that sort of thing. But in week one, we want you to take all all the extra sugar. So any of that sweet stuff. And yes, you may crave it. Uh, one of the callers called in and said, um, uh, or sent an email saying that they really crave sugar. Well, that's natural. And what we're what this will do is help you break that craving. Excellent. But you will crave it. Now, if you do need a little sugar, I have a couple here. These are just little, uh, in the diabetic section of the drugstore, you can mm-hmm. have these little diabetic candies. Just grab some of those. And okay. if you really, really need something sweet, just pop one of those. All out. right. Sounds good. All right. Let's move on to W. Water. Super hydration. So really easy. Water is the stuff of life. Um, so we need you to be really hydrated. When you think about it, you don't drink most people all night. They wake up in the morning, they have coffee, which is a diuretic, mm-hmm. and then they don't drink enough all day or they're drinking coffee and then they have alcohol, which is a diuretic. So people are naturally just dehydrated all the time. Right. We want you to be hydrated or super hydrated. So start the day with two big glasses of water. And it'll actually help you wake up too. And it helps with bowel movements and things like that. Mm -hmm. And just, we want you to stay very hydrated all day and even have a glass of water before meals too. But about every hour or two, have a full glass of water. Stay well hydrated. Okay, excellent. And how about alcohol? This is a big question for a lot of people wondering if they can have alcohol on the keto diet. Yes, you can, but not now. Not this week. <laughs> so, not week one. Now, this is dryuary. I call it dryuary because, right. uh, you know, the, the drinking season is December. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I've, as in my adult life, I've never had a drink in January. I just don't drink in January. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I think it's a good idea to, to just give yourself and your liver a little bit of a break. But I do enjoy wine. Uh, I used to be a beer drinker, but beer is kind of out. There mm-hmm. are some low-carb beers. They're not too satisfying. But you can drink wine, but not right now. You need to abstain from alcohol for the next two to three weeks. Okay, that sounds good. I think you can do that out there, people. Can sure, you? you can. If you can't, then we can talk. We can we can advise someone else for you to talk to. Exactly. Yes, yeah. you may need that counseling in another way. Yes. Um, MCT, medium chain triglyceride oil. Yeah. Now this is a big one. So MCT oil, medium chain triglyceride. These are fats, fatty acids essentially, and they're um, a specific type. They're found mostly in coconut and coconut products. Mm-hmm. So they have carbon chains and it's 
either six, eight, ten, or twelve. Um, so um, six carbons, eight carbons, ten, or twelve. Mm-hmm. And the twelve is lauric acid, which is the really coconutty flavored stuff, which is not very ketogenic. It doesn't produce ketones, mm-hmm. uh, but it's good anti-inflammatory, so it's fine. The six is fantastic, but nobody can palate. It's not palatable. You know, okay. Um, so the uh, eight and ten, uh, and it's caproic and, and caprylic acid. And uh, so the C8 is the better one because when you, if you can find a pure C8 MCT oil, okay. and I don't endorse products, so I, I refrain right. from mentioning brand names, but, but a pure C8 oil is better, but it'll be more expensive. Okay. So if you want to save some money, you can get a C8, C10. It'll be just, just as good. But what that does is convert in your liver 100% to um, the ketones that you'll be introducing your body to. So what it does is get those ketones into your system to start triggering those enzymatic pathways that help you metabolize ketones. And it also helps to prevent some of the symptoms of the, the keto flu. Okay, perfect. And so people also need to buy, because we're running up against yes. the clock here, keto sure. sticks. Keto sticks test can get, their urine. Yep. They're over the counter at the yep. drugstore. They test okay. your urine. You just pee on them first thing in the morning. Yep. All right. A multivitamin. It's a good idea because I don't know what you're eating, so we want to make sure you get right, full Right, exactly. Yep. A probiotic is optional. Probiotic is optional, and I would get the uh, Bifidus Infantis. Okay. Uh, that's the one I would. And sugar free candy. And otherwise, as long as they're taking sugar out of their diet, they can eat whatever they like this week. Is that right? That, yeah, just stay with the Pretty rest much. of your diet. Yeah. Just get okay. sugar out, no alcohol, lots okay. of water. And if you want to start with the MCT and probiotics, that's great. Wonderful. Okay, wish me luck, Dr. Harper. And I, I can have a bite of your chocolate that I brought oh, you. Right. you bring some chocolate. So <laughs> yeah, we're some beautiful have... uh, keto chocolate. Keto chocolate, mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you, <laughs> you can really taste the chocolate and the creaminess, that cocoa butter creaminess. Mm. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. And amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> going to take a little getting used to. Anyway, David G. Harper, mm. author of The Bio Diet. Thank you so much and thanks for so much for getting people started on this journey. I will post these instructions on LinkedIn oh, and fantastic. Facebook yep. and Instagram for you. Remember, email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com or david at biodiet.org if you want to enter into the random draw for free counseling. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. If you're just joining us now, we've been talking about some 2020 goals, in particular weight or actually nutrition, how to you, uh, stay healthy and live a healthy life and keep um, on that pathway for 2020, well past January, I hope. Marat Dreshner, chef and global wellness and nutrition specialist and a coach to help people lead an abundant, healthy, active lifestyle, joins me on the line from Delta, British Columbia. Hello, Marat. Hi, Maureen. How Thanks are you? for having me on. Oh, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. So I'm not sure if you were listening earlier, but um, we've got a little bit of a challenge out there to help people live a little bit more of a healthy life. Yeah, I heard. Anti-inflammatory uh, lifestyle, reduce pain, decrease chronic conditions, hopefully. Yeah, all good things. Yeah. So you're a chef, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> um, almost 30 years. 30 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so also you coach people to lead an abundant, healthy life. I'm, I'm interested in motivation, uh, A, for people who are finding it difficult to get started on this journey and also for people to stay motivated to stay on the journey. So how would you coach them? What tips would you have for people? Yeah, well, first you have to identify what it is that you want to do with your life. Like what are, you, what are your long-term health uh, goals? And then once you identify those things, you know, you, it encompasses your whole life. What is it you want to achieve? And having a healthier lifestyle is going to help you achieve those things twofold. So you have to first see where you want to reach your, your ultimate goal and then work backwards and say, well, I got to get my health in order first so I can reach these further goals. It's kind of like, you know, the, the book by Simon Sinek, you know, start with your why. 
what is the the whole reason behind you choosing to uh, live a healthier lifestyle? It doesn't only have to be losing weight. Uh, it could be other aspects of your life. Maybe you're not sleeping enough. Maybe you've got joint pains, all those kind of things. So figure out what it is that you you want to get better at, and then we work from there. Excellent. And, um, you know, as people age, they uh, a lot of women I in my clinical practice that I see, they complain at, at uh, midlife, at the perimenopause or mer- men- menopause, that they, you know, gain weight around the middle. But typically, women become a little bit more sedentary at that time of mm-hmm. life. Um, and, and maybe they're eating a little bit uh, differently. Uh, so, you know, there's certain th- things that people can do, but it seems they get on this pathway of, oh, you know, it's never going to change. They start to have mobility issues. They may, as you mentioned, not be sleeping. They may have headaches, suffer from hypertension. They may have chronic fatigue syndrome. They may have joint pain, hip pain. How is it, As do you combine your chef mastery and, <laughs> and your, I'm going to assume that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It does play into that. Yes, and your global wellness um, with your coaching. And, yeah. and how important is it, you know, you as a chef to not only uh, feed people, something that's tasty but also nutritious well i've i've always uh targeted uh, my cooking with healthier eating anyways now i've always tried to minimal uh minimize the amount of ingredients that i've used in the first place and try to use ingredients that are within the season and just make sure that there's always the, the best of the minerals and vitamins from the foods that i'm eating so that was always part of part of my life before the coaching played into it but I think, you know, people need to sort of reflect on their behaviors and allow themselves to be set up where they are. And once you make that call and make that judgment, you can ultimately sort of break through uh, your current situation and um, get empowered to try something new and allow yourself to make changes in your, in your life so you become sedentary. You might say to yourself, well, I'll never be able to get out of this rut. I've been like this for a long time, and, uh, who, you know, who, how am I going to do this now? But, if you, you know, your thoughts, they, they drive your feelings, they drive your actions. And if you allow yourself to be conscientious of the thoughts that you're having about your situation, you can ultimately come up to the right decisions if you keep asking yourself, you know, why, why am I like this? Have I always been like this? And where can I go from here? And how can I reach out for help? And nutrition is uh, great medicine. Uh, do you find people in your coaching practice, do they reach kind of a rock bottom, if you will, where they say, you know, I'm, I'm fed up with this. I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm tired of the headaches. I'm tired of the joint pain. I'm tired of the fact that I can't keep up with my kids skiing or whatever it is. Um, you know, yeah. do, do they yeah. get to this sort of rock bottom place where they say, I want, I want to change my life? Yeah, I've I've got the two different kinds of customers. One that does hit the rock bottom, and you know they generally have a pretty cheerful people. They have extra weight. They can't keep up with their kids, but they have a wonderful attitude. And so they haven't been able to achieve the results up to this point, but they're now ready to make those changes, and they're ready to step into that next stage of their life and allow themselves to work on the you know these different steps. And then you've got people who are just, you know, they can see that there is some areas in their life that needs changing. It's not a total makeover. Um, maybe they're just feeling a bit lethargic throughout the day, and they're finding that maybe the extra carby food that they're eating that's, 
giving them spikes in their uh, blood sugar level, kind of like a roller coaster is going up and down. And they just want to make slight changes in how they're eating, how they're preparing food, and how they're planning in their food preparation. Right. And how about young people, children? Obesity is on the rise. Diabetes type 2 is rising. We're seeing that in younger and younger uh, people and, and children. Um, what would you say to parents and eat, you know, of children who are overweight or have unhealthy right. eating habits? Um, how, does that, how do we shift that? Well, that definitely all starts with, with parents. The education definitely starts at home. Uh, and the ABCs of healthy eating is planning ahead, the grocery shopping, and then the preparation, and make uh, a choice to cook more often at home. And if you're making these choices and these, these actions at home, kids are definitely going to follow suit. And, and it's in the planning stages of, you know, like my wife and I, we sit down on a Sunday evening, we plan a week's menu. It's a simple Excel spreadsheet, and we, we make our menu up, keeping in mind how busy our schedule it is, uh, some of the uh, favorite foods our kids love, some of the favorite foods that we love. And we just put it together. And then there's some flexibility there, but at least it's up there for us to look at. And then we've already shopped for those items, so you're never running out of stuff. And you're not looking in the pantry in the fridge, uh, rummaging through and eating just whatever is there. You've actually conscientiously made a plan. And I think that action will teach your kids uh, how to have better habits uh, later in life. That is actually great advice, and I do love the one about eating at home because a lot of people eat out in the restaurants, in restaurants, and uh, yeah. the food is so much. Un- I don't work in a restaurant anymore, so I can, right. <laughs> so I can say eat at home more often. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, the restaurant food might be good, it might be convenient, but it's um, it'll help you to pack on the pounds. Um, I think it's all about ease of preparation. It'll motivate more people to cook at home. Absolutely. How can people get in touch with you, Marat? Um, they can find us on uh, Facebook at Fired Up Pit Couple. That's our uh, closed page. They can request to be in that group. They can uh, look at us at Instagram at Fired Up uh, Fit Couple. And, Is it um, called Fired Up Fit Couple? Yes. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's called Fired Up Fit Couple. Okay. And they can go to our website, uh, which is goherbalife.com forward slash iHealthyChef. Wonderful. Thank you so much. That's Marat Dreshner. And you can go to Facebook and Instagram, Fired Up Fit Couple. I am Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Marat. Appreciate you coming on. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. I am Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. When I think about compassion, dedication, and extraordinary care, I think about Dr. John Weisler. He is a cardiologist at Lionsgate Hospital in North Vancouver. He's also a sports cardiologist providing consultation and screening for Vancouver Whitecaps, BC Lions, Vancouver Canucks, and multiple Olympic teams. He's on the line with me. Good evening, Dr. Weisler. Good evening, Maureen. How are you? I'm great. Oh, good. Uh, Happy New Year. How are you? Thank you. I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> Happy New Year. Yes, I haven't seen you yet this year. Um, but thanks for coming on and talking, making some sense out of um, artificial intelligence, <laughs> shall we mm. say. Yes. And um, this recent study, I, I'd like to hear your take on the new study in cardiovascular research that found that machine learning, the patterns and inferences computers learn, learn computers used to learn to perform tasks can predict the long-term risk of heart attack and cardiac death, maybe even better than the cardiac risk score that um, cardiologists use? Yeah, so it's, um, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting study. 
And there are, I, I think this is fairly new to cardiology, but there have been, you know, there's been a little bit more experience in some other areas of medicine. Um, things like radiology and, um, and uh, pathology are two fields that have looked at this a little bit more. So machine learning, so you try to see patterns um, that uh, we as individuals, as humans, would have a hard time seeing or not be able to see. And trying to apply this learning and, um, you know, have new insights into disease and, you know, in some cases making diagnoses. And then this study that was published um, was looking at predicting cardiac risk. And, you know, um, and it's, so it's in people that had some risk factors for heart disease, but who didn't have, you know, a history of heart attack or established disease. And it was used to try and predict people's risk of heart attack or, or cardiac death. And it might seem a little bit morbid. Um, I would I would want to explain, I guess, to your listeners that um, we try to do this in practice, um, maybe a lot more behind the scenes. So if you go ask your family doctor, you know, do I have to take a medication for cholesterol or for blood pressure? Part of their advice, whether they say yes or no, um, is, is because they estimate your risk of heart disease. So the higher your risk, the greater the benefit of the medication, because, you know, we know that nobody wants to take pills and although they're pretty safe, they can have side effects. So are they worth it to you? So the higher your risk is, um, the, the more these medications benefit. And the traditional ways that we've assessed risk have been like something like the risk score that you mentioned. So, for example, in Canada, we use the Framingham risk score. Uh, they use a similar score in the, in the States that looks at like your cholesterol and your blood pressure, your age, whether you smoke. And it gives us a risk over the next 10 years of what your risk is of, of developing heart disease. So that's, that's the easy way that your family doctor will often do for you. Um, another way that we can estimate risk is with a cardiac CT, so a CT scan of your chest. And we look, when you have plaque on your heart, it becomes calcified. And then um, uh, we add up how much calcium is on the, the radiologist adds up how much calcium is on the scan on your heart, and they can give you a risk of heart disease. And, you know, people argue one score is better than the other. Often the calcium scoring is a little bit more predictive than, than the traditional risk scoring. So then what they did in this study, uh, Maureen, is that they, they basically um, looked for patterns um, using computer learning, so machine learning, and they looked through patterns of patients, like they looked at patients, looked at their different risk factors, and tried to find patterns using, you know, artificial intelligence um, and, and see if they could predict somebody's risk of heart disease. So it's, it's really interesting, and my, my apologies to anybody that is listening that is in computer science, because I only, I only understand, like, the big, the big idea of this. This is complicated. But um, they have this thing called uh, extreme gradient boosting, where they look at people's different risk factors, and they give them a weight. And then the computer, you know, and, then, and so what they did in this study is they followed patients. They, they had patients that had a cardiac CT um, who didn't have any symptoms but had risk factors. They had a cardiac CT, and then they followed them for 15 years, and they looked at people and saw who got heart attacks, who died of heart disease. And then they were able to go back to the initial data and try to predict whether they could, you know, whether the person would identify disease, and then they had 15 years of follow-up. And they found that using this artificial intelligence, it would look at the patient's um, patient's data, look at like their cholesterol, their calcium score, because everybody had a calcium score in this, look at their traditional risk score, and it would compare them. And the computer-generated like machine prediction was more accurate. It predicted more significantly more heart disease than did the traditional risk scores that either the cardiologist used or the coronary artery calcification that was from the CT. So it was more predictive and more accurate. Right. So our, it begs the question, um, are 
are cardiologists overestimating the risk of events in higher risk categories? And, and have some people been put on, with all due respect, have some people been mm-hmm. put on medications unnecessarily or maybe certain doses have been you know, higher than they may have been had it been artificial intelligence determining risk? Yes. So, uh, so I think the answer is yes, at least a little bit. So when, when they compared, you know, the accuracy of the risk score versus this new machine learning score, the machine learning was more accurate, especially at higher risk. So if you got, um, if you did the traditional like Framingham score, you had a high risk score, it predicted a greater disease than you actually ended up having in the study, mm-hmm. whereas the machine generated learning was right on, so it was more accurate. So yes, it was it was a little the machine learning was more precise for those high risk patients. And and this was a fairly robust study with nineteen hundred and twelve subjects. Mm-hmm, that's so, right. Yeah, it, it was it was well done. It had a good population. Yeah. Right, and and fifteen years um, they were uh, after they were first studied. Um, so and we had 76 subjects in this study that presented an event of myocardial infarction or heart attack and or cardiac death during the follow-up time. Um, also very interesting. So do you think that, uh, I mean, I think artificial intelligence and machine learning is coming into healthcare in, in a big way and, and fairly rapidly. Uh, what role do you think it will have uh, in, in cardiovascular health and disease? Well, I- yeah, I agree with you completely. I think it's coming. And in, in healthcare, you know, we, we do generate a lot of data. The problem has historically been that the data sort of get fragmented, that they're often not stored centrally. But we generate a lot when you think of, you know, all the metrics that we record, specifically, in, particularly in cardiology, rather the things like blood pressure and cholesterol, you can track all of that. And they, they describe in this paper, they even have a, a way that the computer learned to analyze the, the CT. So it, it, they looked for like fat deposits around the heart, and it was able to learn how to do that and do that very precisely. So I think this will become, you know, I, I, like I, I don't, the, the the sort of the, I guess the the attention grabbing headline is you know computers are better than doctors or something like that. But I think it will be a very useful tool that we will use on top of our conventional clinical management. Like this this machine learning, for example, Marina combined both the risk score, some factors from the risk score that we would do traditionally in our office, plus the CT, plus other clinical risk factors, and it was able to be more comprehensive. And I see that happening. I see us sort of engaging with artificial intelligence and using it to try and refine our diagnosis or refine our our risk estimate. And also it may actually improve access to healthcare or or speed up wait times in the emergency departments or reduce length of stay, um, Mm -hmm. reduce, um, you know, admissions to hospitals. Um, so I, it can have, I hope so. Yeah, I think it can have a lot of impact in the areas where we need to cut costs um, mm-hmm. while not sacrificing the health of our patients. Yep, it'll, yes, exactly. It'll be helpful. Like a, a risk score like this can help you decide, you know, what other tests do you do on people? You know, who else do you screen for heart disease? So this will give us, you know, this sort of risk prediction will give us, it's, it's more precise than what we were able to do before. So I think it will help us to safely identify people at high risk and safely exclude people who are at lower risk that before might have had testing they didn't really need, which Absol- we know, you know, can also be harmful. Absolutely. And, um, but I think, you know, it, it, in healthcare, <laughs> as you know, and as you and I both know, it can take a long time to change, uh, to make changes in healthcare for people to adopt new technologies mm-hmm. and new approaches to healthcare. So I think, um, you know, that may be one of the the blocks here, one of the blockages, mm-hmm. to uh, pun intended, um, <laughs> to for the healthcare sure. system. <laughs> 
for sure, because because all, all of these new uh, technologies, they they all cost money, and then you know people will debate which one of them is the best. So they they describe in this paper, for example, extreme gradient boosting. There's something else called deep learning, where computers can almost learn things on their own. And so then, which one of those is better for a particular application? Um, you know, and and people will have pros and cons for each of them and we sort of want to before we do something widespread we want to have a pretty clear idea of which one is the best for patients absolutely well i'm certain that whatever uh is decided upon they definitely need to engage you in your brain (laughs) um to make the right decision yes well thank you it's it's fascinating to be involved with yeah it certainly is well thank you so much dr weisler for coming on the show once again really appreciate that and happy new year to you and your family same to you. Thanks Thank, for having me. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. All right. When I come back, um, are you busy? How busy are you? Are you busy for too busy for you know what? Well, is chronic busyness a myth? I am Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa HD radio at 101.1 FM HD2 and on the AM dial 980 CKNW.